welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. In John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our goal is to encourage everyone to grow in the Christian faith by anchoring themselves to the secure truth found in the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, New Living Translation Hello, I'm Victoria Kay. Welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. Today we are continuing our study series we've called, But What About? Because a lot of time you hear questions like, But what about angels and demons? Or, What about heaven and hell? Anyone who has been a Christian for very long knows that the plan of salvation is so simple that children can understand it. But they also know that the Christian faith also contains deep truths. Some of these truths are so deep that we can only understand them with the aid of the Holy Spirit. So, today we want to talk about this in our last episode of What About the Holy Spirit? I'm in the studio today with R.D. Fierro, author and founder of Crystal Sea Books. R.D.? In our last couple of episodes of Anchored by Truth, we began our look at the third person of the Divine Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Can you give us a brief overview of some of the things we've discussed so far, and what do you want to talk about as we conclude our look at this Divine Companion to the Father and Son? I'd be glad to. But before we get started, I do want to say a word of greeting and thanks to all the Anchored by Truth listeners. We really appreciate you joining us here today, whether on the broadcast or a podcast, because we know that your being with us marks you as a person who is serious about their Christian faith and serious about being able to understand the Bible better. Now, in our first two episodes on the Holy Spirit, we covered some pretty important points. For instance, we noted that in saying that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, We are not in any way saying that the Holy Spirit is inferior to either the Father or the Son. Saying that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity is just a form of description or nomenclature. It is not a hierarchical designation. Next, the Holy Spirit is a person, not an impersonal force. The Holy Spirit makes personal choices and takes personal actions. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us teaches us, transforms us, and helps us personally and individually. All these are actions of a person, not of an impersonal force. The Holy Spirit does not correspond to the ideas that are present in so many contemporary science fiction movies. Third, the Holy Spirit inhabits every believer the moment they accept Christ as their Savior. There are no second-class citizens when it comes to believers and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not play favorites. The Holy Spirit is as fully present in believers that the world sees as being humble as he is in the most famous Christians who have ever lived. 
Now, these are some points that we noted in our first episode on Anchored by Truth of But What About the Holy Spirit? And in our second episode, we took a look at the two most prominent appearances of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. The Holy Spirit's appearance as a dove at the time Jesus began his public ministry, and the Holy Spirit's appearance as tongues of fire at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit settled on Jesus in the form of a dove at the time of his baptism. Doves are peace symbols. Noah used a dove to verify that the flood had ended and that the earth was being restored. So, appearing as a dove and settling on Jesus, the Holy Spirit showed us that Jesus would make it possible for men to have peace with God. But the Holy Spirit's appearance as tongues of fire at Pentecost showed that this peace and restoration is not universal. Peace with God is available only through Jesus. Jesus told Nicodemus that eternal life is available for anyone who believes in the Son. But Jesus also said, Judgment has come to those who don't believe in the one and only Son of God, because those people loved the darkness more than the light. Right. Fire is a symbol of both illumination and judgment. The Holy Spirit provides illumination to anyone who accepts Christ as their Savior. But the Holy Spirit pronounces judgment on all those who love darkness rather than the light. So, today we want to build on that foundation we laid in our first two episodes on the Holy Spirit. Where do you want to go today? Well, today I really want to focus on just one central idea. And this idea is both simple and profound at the same time. But I think once people understand this idea, their understanding of the role that Scripture plays in God's revelation is going to grow immeasurably. An idea that is both simple and profound at the same time. This is either intriguing or scary, or maybe a bit of both. It's a bit of both. Just as the appearance of the Holy Spirit as tongues of fire that touched each believer at Pentecost Just as that appearance of the Holy Spirit was both comforting and terrifying, the Holy Spirit touched every believer in the room. Acts chapter 2 verses 3 and 4 say, Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Now notice there wasn't just sort of a giant glowing ball of light or fire that enveloped everyone in the room. The Holy Spirit went to each believer individually. The Holy Spirit went to each believer individually, but he did go to them all. The scripture says, everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes, so this is a foundational principle of the Christian faith. The Holy Spirit is present in everyone who authentically accepts Christ as their Savior, and the Holy Spirit empowers each person with unique abilities. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 and 5 say, There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. So every believer, every person who accepts Christ as their Savior, receives one or more gifts from the Holy Spirit. But what we do with those gifts is up to us. That's why the Apostle Paul told the Philippian believers in Philippians, chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, to, quote, work hard to show the results of your salvation, 
obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. That's the New Living Translation. Right. The Holy Spirit empowers every believer, but it is up to every believer to decide whether they want to let those gifts languish or use them for the maximum benefit of God's kingdom. So that's a great lead-in to the main idea that I want to discuss today. Which is? The fact that the only reason that we know about the Holy Spirit is because of the Bible. But the fact that we do know about the Holy Spirit helps demonstrate that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. That sounds like a circular argument. The Bible tells us about the Holy Spirit. But then the fact that we know about the Holy Spirit tells us that the Bible is the Word of God. And, phrased the way that you did, it would be a circular argument. That's why we're going to take some time today to unpack this thought process and show that far from being circular, it's actually quite amazing. Now let's first start by remembering that on Anchored by Truth, we offer four lines of evidence that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. And those four lines of evidence are reliable history, remarkable unity, fulfilled prophecy, and redeemed destinies. By reliable history, we mean that historical records the Bible contains have been validated time and time again. For instance, the book of Jonah mentioned the Assyrian city of Nineveh, but secular history lost sight of Nineveh for over two millennia. Then, in the middle of the 19th century, it was rediscovered by a British archaeologist, Sir Austin Henry Layard. This kind of instance has been repeated time and again. By remarkable unity, we mean that the Bible displays a remarkable unity for a book that was composed by over three dozen human authors who wrote over a span of 1,500 years. We did an entire series called Genesis to Revelation, 15 Critical Scriptures to illustrate this. Links to this series are available on our website, crystalseabooks.com. And fulfilled prophecy gives indisputable evidence of the Bible's supernatural origin. For example, when the prophet Isaiah wrote in the latter half of the 8th century BC, Isaiah gave the exact name of the king who would release the Hebrews from the Babylonian exile over 200 years later. Now, today we don't even know who's going to win the next election or the next ball game. And yet Isaiah told the Hebrews, of course it's not Isaiah doing it, it's God speaking through Isaiah, And yet Isaiah told the Hebrews the name of their coming deliverer more than two centuries ahead of time. And the fourth line of evidence is redeemed destinies. That is, the Bible has resulted in an untold number of lives that have been positively changed by its transcendent message. All of this demonstrates that the Christian faith is a faith that is grounded in evidence, logic, and reason. Contrary to the refrain that you hear from some people that, quote, you have faith, but I have reason, unquote, we believe that a proper use of logic, reason, and evidence actually demonstrates that the Christian faith is true. But how does all this fit in with the idea that the Bible's description of the Holy Spirit helps us know that the Bible is the Word of God? Our four lines of evidence help us see that the Bible is a remarkable book. 
But in certain other respects, the Bible is like every other book that we've had during mankind's history. The Bible was written down by human beings using the writing instruments that were available to them at the time, and they wrote on the writing surfaces that were in common use during that period of history. But from the first to the last, the Bible is distinguished from all other books because the human authors of the Bible were all inspired by God. The Bible is God's special revelation to mankind. The Bible makes this claim for itself. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21 say, quote, Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. Unquote. Right. So, let's remember that theologians differentiate between general revelation and special revelation. General revelation is exactly that. It's general. It is general in content, and it's available to a general audience. Now, we can know from empirical observations of the universe that the universe cannot explain its own existence, no matter how many claims by various scientists to the contrary. At a minimum, the second law of thermodynamics tells us that the universe is not eternally old and cannot exist eternally into the future. The universe is going to run out of energy someday, and even secular scientists recognize this. Well, if the universe were infinitely old, it would already have run out of energy. So we know that the universe has all the attributes of being an effect and not a cause. That's what we can deduce just by making empirical observations of the universe. Anyone and everyone can do that if they chose to do so. That's an example of general revelation. And we know from the size of the universe that whatever or whoever caused it must be a being of enormous power and intelligence. There are galaxy-sized structures in the universe all the way down to particles so small they can't be seen with an electron microscope. But this vast construction of energy, matter, space, time is so ordered that it can be studied and intelligent analysis made of how it will behave. This was actually the impetus for modern science and many of the founders of modern science disciplines, such as Sir Isaac Newton, who invented calculus, and Carl Linnaeus, the father of modern taxonomy. Yes. So we can determine that there was a God-sized being that caused the universe, and we can know, as you said, that that is a being of immense power, immense knowledge, and who is ever-present. Everyone can know that. That is general knowledge. But what we cannot know just by studying the universe, by making empirical observations of the created order, is that that being is a Trinitarian God comprised of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We can't find that out just by studying nature. Now, said slightly differently, we can know that there is a God by looking at nature, but we cannot determine the nature of that God. In order for us to know much about the nature of God, we needed for God to reveal himself to us. And that is exactly what God has done in the Bible. The Bible is God's special revelation. It is special in the content that it reveals, and it is special in the sense that only people who have been empowered by the Holy Spirit can understand the revelations that it contains. We heard that in our opening scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 
That scripture says, quote, People who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it, for only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means, unquote. Again, today our scripture verses are coming from the New Living Translation. Right. So the Bible is God's special revelation, special in content and special in the audience that receives it. Well, for the Bible to be an authentically special revelation, we would expect that special revelation to contain some information that is not available simply by studying the world around us. Just think about that for a second. If human beings could obtain a comprehensive knowledge of God simply by studying nature, there would be no real need for a special revelation. General revelation would be sufficient. I see what you're saying. Logic tells us that every effect must have a full and sufficient cause. And while science can explain the operation of much of what we see in the universe, there is a difference between explaining the operation of a thing and the origin of a thing. The physical universe shows us that the amount of usable energy is constantly being depleted. So, no matter how slow the rate of depletion and how much there is, this process must have begun some point in the past. The visible universe had a beginning. But what was that beginning? What caused the origin of the universe? We know by studying the universe that it had a cause because that's all we could know. It's like seeing a painting. We know that for there to be a painting, there must be a painter. But we can only learn so much about the painter if all we have is the painting itself. Right. Now, fortunately, in this case, the painter, God, chose to give information about himself. God gave us the Bible to give us that information about himself and about other things like how he created and what his plans are for his creation. We learn from the Bible about the triune nature of God, the dual nature of Christ, the plan of salvation, and we learn from the Bible that there is another race of intelligent personal beings besides humans. Those are the angels. And we learn from the Bible that God is shepherding the history of the physical creation to an appointed end. All of these things and more, they're all part of the special revelation that God has made to his people. And we could not learn about any of those things apart from that special revelation. But we can validate that this special revelation is true because God gave us evidence to validate its authenticity. God ensured that where the Bible spoke of history, it would be an accurate record. And God gave us a substantial body of prophecy so we could see that human writers had a supernatural source of inspiration. Some commentators count hundreds of prophecies that were fulfilled in the life of Jesus. Humanly speaking, it would be impossible for a group of conspirators to have ensured that all these prophecies would have been fulfilled in the life of one person, even if they had wanted to. Yes. Apart from the Bible, we can know that Jesus lived because there are secular historians who have recorded information about Jesus. But we can only learn that Christ's death on the cross was to atone for sin and to reconcile man to God. We can only learn that from the Bible. We can only know from the Bible that God, the Father, sent Jesus to the earth to make it possible for there to be peace between God and man. And we can only know from the Bible that God the Father sent the Holy Spirit to be our advocate and comforter after Jesus ascended into heaven. 
And yet, in that way that only God could have configured it, knowing that God the Father sent the Holy Spirit to be our advocate and comforter, while that same Holy Spirit is also the person of the Trinity that illuminates our minds to the truth that is contained in the Bible. So now, through all of this, you can start to see that our awareness of the existence of the Holy Spirit is not the starting point from which we acquire our confidence that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. Our starting point is the four lines of evidence that tell us that the Bible is a book that is unique among all the books of the world. There are many other books that claim or have claimed to be God's Word, but only the Bible provides evidence that demonstrates that it is. Our starting point for knowing that Bible is God's special revelation is examining it to see if it is consistent with what we know about the physical creation and human history. We start with the fact that the Bible is a generally reliable record, but we move on to the fact that the Bible demonstrates that it has a supernatural origin. We can look to see what revelations the Bible contains that we cannot know simply by looking at the created order or history. This includes revelations about the nature of God and the existence of the Holy Spirit. What you're saying is is that if the Bible did not contain such supplemental revelations, we might wonder, why not? As you said, if general revelation were sufficient, there would be no need for a special revelation. But if God did choose to make a special revelation, we would expect to see special information in that revelation, information that we could not derive from any other source. Which is exactly what we do see. And part of that information is that there are certain truths that we can only know because the Holy Spirit has communicated them to us. So the observation that our awareness of the Holy Spirit helps confirm the inspiration of Scripture is not circular at all because we don't start our line of reasoning with that awareness. We start our line of reasoning with the observations of the created order, and then we see what place the Bible occupies within that order. But through all of this, we finally come to a wonderful place. We come to discover that there is a wonderful truth that in addition to the four lines of evidence that anyone can check, Christians, believers, have an additional form of evidence that the Bible is the inspired and errant and infallible Word of God. Now, this form of additional confirmation is sometimes referred to as the internal testimony of the Holy Spirit. That's pretty neat. It's almost as if the Holy Spirit wants His children to have a way to resolve all doubts as to whether or not they are truly saved. Just about every Christian will admit that at some point during the Christian journey, they are going to have doubts about God, about their own salvation, possibly even about the Bible. But the Holy Spirit has already given us a way to resolve those doubts. Yes. Christians can and should study the first four lines of evidence because 1 Peter 3.15 tells us that we are supposed to be prepared to give a reason for the hope that lies within us. Us giving a reason for the hope that lies within us, that's our testimony to the world, and the world to which we testify is going to include both believers and unbelievers. But the Holy Spirit doesn't ask us to simply ground our trust in Him on what is available to everyone else, whether they are believing or unbelieving. The Holy Spirit brings us, believers, an additional level of awareness by imparting truths to us that only the Holy Spirit can impart. 
You know, our opening scripture says, people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. Well, that term, people who aren't spiritual, means people who have not accepted Christ as their Savior. Because if they haven't accepted Christ as their Savior, then they don't possess the Holy Spirit as that internal advocate and comforter that believers do. Now, the way that our opening scripture states that, people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit, that's a negative statement. That's a negative form of stating that fact. The positive form of that statement is that people who are spiritual, those who believe in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, can receive these truths. And as we've said before, the Holy Spirit is equally present in all believers. The main point is that He is present. The Holy Spirit has not left us to fend for ourselves in this world. He really is our ever-present advocate, counselor, and comforter. We always say on Anchored by Truth that any book that claims to be the Word of God must, at a minimum, meet two criteria. It must be consistent with what we know by observing the world, the universe, and human history, and would also have to display evidence of supernatural origin. Well, one of the ways the Bible gives us evidence of its supernatural origin is by giving us information about the supernatural realm which we otherwise would not possess. The existence and the activity of the Holy Spirit is a part of the knowledge that the Bible communicates to us that it really does come to us from an omniscient God who has given us a coherent body of faith. The fact that we learn things from the Bible that we can only find in the Bible helps demonstrate that the Bible is God's special revelation to His chosen people. Well, next time, we're going to take a look at what the Bible has to say about heaven and hell. This sounds like a good time for a prayer, since one of the things we're commanded to pray for in Scripture is for our neighbors and communities. Today, let's listen to a prayer for friends. A Prayer for Friends Heavenly Lord and Holy Father, we bless you and exalt you as we bow down before you. We are grateful that we can come into your presence and find a willing and loving master. You are the one who framed the mountains and carved out the oceans. How much more then can you assist your children? Lord, we thank you for the blessings of having friends. We believe that it is you who brings people into our lives who are a source of joy and fulfillment to us. We pray that you would help us to provide the same blessings to others. We thank you that you have helped us to meet people who help us to go beyond ourselves. Friends whose hearts are loving and generous toward us and who have steadfast spirits that keep them with us even during the difficult times. We pray that you would bless our friends with health, strength, and prosperity. We ask that you would look into the deepest recesses of their hearts as only you can and find the secret hopes and dreams there. As it conforms to your will, fulfill their desires and bring them more completely into your presence. Seek out those who do not yet embrace your name and your Son and bring them into communion with you. Let them know that only friendships grounded in you will last for eternity and that joy unspeakable awaits those who put on Christ 
and in fellowship in His kingdom. Help us to be sensitive to the dings and dents of life that afflict others, and help us to speak kind and encouraging words, especially when troubles are weighing them down. Help us to take action where such action will relieve pain or provide comfort. But help us also to know the boundaries that we should not cross. As Christ did, let us build relationships among the people we treasure and help us always to seek the good of others, even when we must set some of our own desires aside. It is your good pleasure to provide good gifts to us all, and it is impossible that we should ever bless others without being blessed by you. Bring harmony and peace to our relationships. Help us for our part to not injure or grieve others. Help us to be peacemakers using the example that your Son gave to us. Forgive us and help us to forgive others that all will know that we are the possession of your Son. In Christ's name we pray and offer praise. Amen. We hope you'll be with us next time, and we hope you'll take some time to encourage some friends to tune in also, or listen to the podcast version of this show. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalcbooks.com, where we're not famous, but our boss is.